I failed to do what I was told. And the first one was this. I've mentioned this all of these before, but uh, 20, about 20 years ago, my brother and I and, and father, we were all traveling to Florida, and Trav and I were actually going at a different airport than you for some reason. Different airlines. Yeah. Tickets, yeah. yeah, social distancing. All the way back. Um, so Trav and I had this really long layover at Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C., and we decided to duck into one of those um, gift shops. And this particular gift shop was this candy you guys know the good candy kind, the kinds that's like in a barrels and you get it out, you scoop it out and put it in a plastic bag. I love that candy. That was always better than just the packages of candy. So Trav and I hit the jackpot and we said, oh, we've got to get some candy. Well, we have this long layover. So I, I went over to this one, this one barrel that I thought looked interesting and I just started putting a ton of it into my bag. And the lady from the cashier was, was trying to tell me something while I was doing that. And she had this like thick Asian accent and I didn't really understand what she was saying, nor did I care. So I just like blew her off and continued to put the candy in my bag. I actually went to go pay for the candy and, and while I was paying for the candy, she again is trying to tell me something, but I can't really understand her and I don't really care. I'm just excited about the candy. So I'm like, whatever, I pay for the candy. I sat down and I, I chowed, I pounded that candy. Uh, about a couple hours later, it dawned on me what I believe she was trying to tell me. That candy was sugarless candy. I don't know if you guys have any experience with sugarless candy, but if you eat any more than like five of them, you're going to suffer. And boy, did I suffer. And I had a plane coming, so that was an interesting day. Uh, failed, to do, failed to do what I was told. Uh, later on, I worked at a bank. I told you before I got into ministry, and at that bank, we had, we had a lot of busy times. We had a lot of down times. During one of the down times, we were trying to find ways to occupy that time. So uh, we decided we were going to do a hot pepper challenge. It's really smart. And uh, we started this hot pepper challenge where basically every week we would, we would start small, we would start at the low scale and kind of build up to see how hot of a pepper we could eat. And I wasn't doing well. I like spicy foods, but I wasn't willing to, to really risk it. So I was kind of lagging behind in the standings. And so, you know, the guys were poking fun at me, you wuss, things like that. And, you know, that kind of, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear that kind of stuff. So this week just happened to be the habanero pepper. And I said to them, okay, what's it going to take for me to climb the standings, for me to pass you guys? What's it going to take? And the guy said, who was running, and he said, I want you to take the entire habanero pepper and eat it, eat the whole thing at once. And I said, I don't know. That's not, he's like, if you want to show yourself, show how strong you are, that's what you're going to have to do. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So he brought the habanero pepper in. It was in this packaging, and on the packaging it said a couple things, like if you touch the pepper, don't touch your eyes. And then it said, don't eat the pepper in its entirety you moron. Uh, it didn't say that part, but it should have. Because I sat down, and we actually have on a video, I can show you guys if I need to, but uh, I put the entire pepper in my mouth, I chewed it, swallowed it, and felt fine. And I was kind of laughing at the pepper, kind of mocking the pepper, going, that's all you got? That's the best you can do until 15 seconds went by. I really can't explain how I felt. The only way I can kind of explain it is if I had bit into a porcupine. That's the kind of pain that was in my mouth. It was so bad, I honestly thought I was going to pass out. It was that intense of pain. And I, there was nothing that could take it away. No milk. They tell you to do milk and bread. I tried all of that, and nothing did anything. And I was in pain for the next couple hours. It was pretty rough. That was stupid. Uh, a couple other examples. Trav and I, when we were younger, we went to a camp with my uh, parents. And you know how camps are. You kind of like want to explore the campgrounds and see what's around there. Dad was preaching or doing something weird. So Trav and I were, uh, it's weird for a pastor to say. So Trav and I were exploring the campgrounds, and around this campground was this electrical fence, part of it. 
either to keep animals out or in or something. And it had one of those big, like, lightning bolt signs. You remember seeing one of those? Or, like, stay away. And Trev and I, we were young and stupid, and we wanted to know, is this real thing really electrical? Is it really electrical? I didn't see any, like, sparks coming off it. So maybe it was just placebo. So Trav and I, we weren't going to touch the thing directly, but we took out a quarter. And I said, what if I touch it with the quarter? And we'll be able to tell. And it probably won't be that bad then either if it is electrical. Because that's smart. So we took the quarter out, and, and I remember taking the quarter and touching it to the electrical fence. You guys can imagine what happened. Three months later, my eyebrows grew back. Uh, that was stupid. Definitely was electrical. They weren't lying. And one more. When I, uh, when I was after college... I, I had a few dating experiences, and my friend was actually dating this girl, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out, and they broke up. And it, This is always a general rule. Never rebound the girl that your buddy dates, but I decided to try, and uh, she was cute, and she, she was available. And I said to my friend, I said, do you mind if I take her out? And he goes, I don't mind. He goes, but I will warn you, she's a big bowl of crazy. She said, <laughs> he said, that girl is nuts. And I said, ah, it doesn't matter. She's cute. So I started to date this girl, and uh, she was a big bowl of crazy, uh, safe to say. In fact, she's back there somewhere. No, I'm just teasing. It wasn't Janine. Did you ever fail to do what you were told? We're going to look at something kind of like that today, where we're going to look at the title called Jesus Says. Jesus Says. And we're going to look at several things about this topic of doing what we were told is it frustrating to you when you think you have the genuine article of something valuable only to find out that you've been handed a fake? Is it frustrating when you think you have the genuine article of something valuable only to find out that you've been handed a fake? I'm going to do several stories today, probably all reruns, but when I was going to school in grade school, I, would, I rode the bus with this kid, and we were all baseball card collectors, all baseball card fans. So I noticed one day he had his cards while we were on the bus, and he was looking through them. And I sat down next to him and said, can I see some of your cards? And he said, sure. And I'm looking through them, and he has a couple of cards that were autographed. And that was always the coolest thing, is when someone famous signed their own card. And I noticed by looking through his cards that he actually had a Michael Jordan autograph. And I said, Mike, I said, how did you get Michael Jordan's autograph? And he said, I go to these card shows, and I trade, and I buy cards, and I just stumbled upon a Michael Jordan autograph. I said, wow, you are one lucky guy. And then he says, Todd, I actually have another one. It's back at home. And he said, I'd be willing to trade it to you if the price is right. And I said, are you serious? You'd trade me a Michael Jordan autograph? He said, yeah, if you were willing to give me some really good cards. So long story short, as I gave this kid like six or seven of my best cards for a Michael Jordan autograph, and I was thrilled, I was stunned that I got a Michael Jordan autograph. You know, I mean, back in the 90s, Michael Jordan was the bee's knees. That's what you wanted more than any other card. And a couple weeks later, I got another one. I got another Michael Jordan autograph in this kid. And now I had two Michael Jordan autographs. And I was just on cloud nine. And I remember taking these autographs to our card store that we frequented. And I, I said to the guy there, I said, you won't believe what I got. I got two Michael Jordan autographs. And I had them with me. And I brought them out and set them in front of him. And, front of him, and I said, look how lucky I am, I am. And he said, can I see that? I said, yeah. And he looked at it close. And he goes, hmm. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I don't think these are Michael Jordan autographs. I said, what do you mean? His autograph's right there. And he goes, he goes, I agree that someone autographed it. He goes, but I don't think Michael Jordan autographed it. I said, how can you say that? He went back, and he was gone for a moment, and came back out with this, like, official-looking plaque. And he had a Michael Jordan card in there with, like, a letter of authenticity next to it, you know? And he, lit, and he took that and placed it next to my Michael Jordan autographs, and he said, look, look at yours, and then look at mine. Do they look the same? 
I said, no, not really. And he goes, do you think that's a problem? I said, I don't know. I said, maybe he was in a hurry. You know, I mean, basketball players sweat. Maybe he just sweat and a little bit got on the card. I said, maybe he was high on Red Bull. You know, maybe there's just a reason that it wasn't the same autograph. And he said, Todd, I hate to break it to you, but there's a lot of fake autographs out there. And I think you have two of them. And I was crushed, crushed to think that this kid ripped me off and gave me two fake Michael Jordan autographs. But it's frustrating when you think you have the genuine article of something to find out that you've been handed a fake. Well, we're going to look at something similar to that as we look at Jesus says, and we have a problem that we need to start out with in order to understand where we're going today, because there is a problem. And the problem is, is that modern day Christianity has gotten off course. It's gotten off course. This is a lesson I believe we need to hear, myself included, because this is vital for our spiritual health. Okay? And it's interesting that I believe we all know there's a false Christianity that exists in our world. If I mention something called the prosperity gospel, many of you would know what I mean, and many of you would agree that that's a perversion of real Christianity, an imposter of the true Christianity. Unfortunately, guys, there were perhaps hundreds, if not thousands, of perversions of Christianity that exist in our age. In fact, I would say this. I would say be careful going into a Christian bookstore because you would assume that everything in that bookstore is probably of truth and from the Bible. But you might be surprised to know that there would be a lot in there that actually doesn't support what the Bible says. It would be called Christian. It would have a Christian label on it. But a lot of it would actually not represent what Jesus said. And that's the point today. So the question is, is if, if perversions exist, and they do, then what is true Christianity? What is true Christianity? If Christianity even can be perverted, how do you know if the version that you ascribe to is the real deal? How can you be sure that you haven't been handed a fake version of that? Fake Christians are around today. How do you know you're not one of them? Uh, Luke, go back to the slide previous to this. I'm going to get my stories out of the way here, but uh, growing up, I considered myself a really big Michigan Wolverine fan. And there's some maniac in the stands. I just took a picture of him. No, that's actually me. Um, I considered myself a really big Michigan fan. I grew, up, I grew up here, but I was born in Michigan. And, right, I, I was a big fan. I watched all the games. You know, I got a lot of paraphernalia. On occasion, I would go out to Michigan and watch the games there at Michigan Stadium. I thought I was at least one of the biggest fans in the world, probably definitely the biggest in Pennsylvania. I was a huge fan. If they lost, it really affected me. And uh, I was just a really big Michigan fan until about 2008, I told you I moved out to Michigan due to ministry. And then I discovered what a real Michigan fan looked like. <laughs> I worked with this guy at Circuit City for the two days that I worked there. Um, and this guy was a hardcore Michigan fan. This guy was, he knew every player, every coach. He knew all the guys that came through that were in the NFL that played for Michigan. He even knew the scouts. He knew the high school players that were considering going to Michigan. He knew how fast they run, how, how high they jumped. And I was floored. I'm starting to talk to this guy like I knew nothing about Michigan football all of a sudden. He knows everything. And I realized at that moment that I probably wasn't as big of a fan as I actually thought I was. What is a true fan? Or we're going to ask this, what is a true Christian? See, a true Christian or true Christianity is not what we might expect it to be. If we were asked to define what makes a true Christian, we would probably say someone who believes in Jesus. 
someone who believes in Jesus would probably be the answer to that question. But I want us to consider today that that's not the best answer for someone who is a true Christian. Okay, a cursory search of religion in the U.S. would reveal that 73.7% of Americans say they believe in Jesus. Think about that stat for a minute. I did the math. That would work out to approximately 241 million Americans would profess to be Christians. Does that surprise you? Does that number surprise you? Because it surprised me when I looked it up. I thought it was probably higher than 50, but 73.7% of Americans say they believe in Jesus Christ. If that is accurate, then America is by far a Christian nation. If, every, if three of every four Americans are Christian, then this is by far a Christian nation. And that means... America is mostly Christian and therefore mostly Christ-accepting, and therefore the church is probably flourishing. But is it? Is Christianity that accepted? Is Christianity that present in our nation? Is everything accepting of our Lord Jesus Christ and those who follow him? And you would probably say, no, it's not. It's not. Now, I want to go back and I want to preface this to say that belief in Jesus is essential to being a true Christian. Absolutely essential. In fact, nothing can happen of any sort of spiritual life and godliness without someone first recognizing their sinfulness before God, their desperate need for salvation and cleansing from Jesus, and then turning to Jesus by faith through the grace of God. And we've declared that. We've declared that for the last couple years that I've been here, and I hope you believe that we believe that. So this study today is not about devaluing faith in Jesus, okay? We proclaim and we declare that faith in Jesus is absolutely essential. But remember our question. How do you know if you're an authentic Christian if three of every four Americans say that they are? Say that they have faith in Jesus? Or we'll ask it this way. Why does there seem to be a large disconnect between people claiming to have faith in Jesus and actually following him? Why does there seem to be a large disconnect between those who say, I believe in Jesus, and actually following him? One more story. Uh, in grade school, I mentioned this before, these are all reruns, but in, in grade school, I wanted to be friends with this kid, Eric, because Eric was cool. And in seventh grade, I started to care about being popular. Eric was popular. Eric was edgy. Eric was the kind of guy that if you wanted to be popular, you wanted to say you were friends with Eric. So Eric was in one of my classes, and I remember sitting near him one day, and he said to me, yo, Todd, what kind of bands are you into? What kind of music do you like? And that was like the worst question to ask a conservative Christian. Because <laughs> I had no experience with secular bands. I didn't, I didn't know any of their songs. I didn't listen to them. I didn't even know the name of a lot of bands. But I wanted to be friends with Eric, and I thought I could fake it. I honestly thought I could fool the guy, because I had heard several names of several bands, and I honestly thought that if I set a band, he'd, he'd high-five me and we'd be buds, and that's where it would end. And I said, you know, Eric, one band I'm really into lately, <laughs> the band called Airsmith. I really like Airsmith. And he had this, like, confused look on his face, and he said, do you mean Aerosmith? And I said, yeah, yeah, Aerosmith, Aerosmith. I'm punching the arrow now, like I meant to say Aerosmith. I'm like, yeah, I'm really into Aerosmith. He goes, really? I said, oh, yeah, I love me some Aerosmith. And he goes, oh, Todd, what's your favorite song by Aerosmith? And I, back then, I had a lot of street smarts, and I said, there's too many. There's too many. I love them all. They're all the same. They're all great. 
And Eric was kind of on to me, and he kind of had a follow-up question, and he said, Todd, I have a question for you. What do you think is a better song, Enter Sandman or Back in Black? What's your favorite Aerosmith song? And I was like, hmm, it's a good one, Eric. You know, that's tough, but I'm going to have to go with Back in Black on that one. Back in Black is the best Aerosmith song. And Eric looks right at me and says, Aerosmith doesn't sing either of those songs, Todd. And I was like, oh. I was found out, and I said something like, I need to go to the nurse, and I left. <laughs> I had a boo-boo. And Eric, Eric and I weren't buddies from that on. He didn't really like me after that, but. I was an Aerosmith fan fraud, and Eric saw through that very quickly. I want you to remember what a perversion is. A perversion is a distortion of the truth, okay? It's something that looks like the truth, but on close examination, it looks nothing like the genuine article. I told you I had one more story. I lied. I have another story. You've heard all of these, but uh, New York City. <laughs> I went to New York City one time with my parents, and uh, we're walking on the sidewalk. We're just looking at all the buildings and things like that. Com complete tourists. I mean, you could have picked us out a mile away. And some guy appeared out of the shadows with a briefcase and came up to me and opened that briefcase like this. And it had all these gold watches in it, and it said Rolex on them. And the guy goes, $15. $15, you can have a Rolex. And I was like, wow, I can have a Rolex for $15? And I didn't know any better, so I gave him my $15. I picked up my gold Rolex. Man, I was thrilled. And I came to my parents, and I said, guys, I just bought a Rolex watch for $15. And my parents were like, hmm, that sounds a little shady. So like, can I see that watch, Todd? And they picked up the watch and were inspecting it. And I said, ah, Todd, I don't know if Rolexes say made in Pakistan on them. I don't think you actually got a Rolex watch. And I was like, what? I got ripped off by some guy in the shadows. I had a fake Rolex, and that Rolex ended up turning my wrist green. It was bad news. But it was a perversion. It was, a, it, was a, it was something that was supposed to look like the genuine article, but upon close examination, it didn't at all resemble the article. Well, I want you to take your Bibles, and I think this is going to be on the screen, and I want you to turn to a passage in 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verses 4 to 10. This is a really important text we're going to look at here. And if you remember, we went through this book, so this, this passage should be a little bit familiar to you today. But I want you to listen to what John says in chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. He says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you notice that? Do you notice John bringing up the genuine Christianity saying, this is how you know if you have the real thing, by your lifestyle. In fact, when I was in Michigan, we preached and studied this text with our college group 
And a young man came up to me afterwards and said, I'd never heard that before in my life. And he said, I've been calling myself a Christian all my life, and I'm not sure I am one. And I said, well, Chris, let's explore that. And so he and I sat down, and we talked about this and studied it closer together. And this, this young man actually came to Christ. And he said it was this passage that revealed to him that he actually wasn't who he thought he was. And uh, interestingly enough, that young man is now married to my sister-in-law. And he's walking with the Lord today as a Christian family. And this passage is showing us something, that the practical proof of being a Christian is within someone's lifestyle. Lifestyle. According to Scripture, without obedience to God and tangible, righteous living, no one, myself included, can be certain they're a true Christian. Nobody can know. In fact, the Apostle John goes on to say that if righteous living is absent and evil practices are present, then so is proof of remaining ownership of the devil. I'll say that again. If righteous living is absent and evil practices are present, then so is remaining ownership of the devil. In other words, we can't afford to be wrong about this. We can't afford to be wrong that we think we believe we have the genuine article of faith in Jesus Christ, but our lifestyle proves otherwise. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe you're taking this passage out of context. Maybe that's not exactly what it means. I mean, it's plain language, but still, maybe John means something different than what he seems to be saying. But did you know that Jesus himself reiterates this exact kind of language? And TGD read a passage of that for us this morning. But in John 14 and John 15, I want you to listen to what Jesus says regarding real, authentic Christianity. He says in John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then you flip the page to John 15, and only a chapter later, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you notice the correlation between what John says and what Jesus says? That true Christianity will evidence itself based on your lifestyle. How you live will show you what you are. That's exactly what it says. If you are keeping the commandments, then you love Jesus. If you are practicing righteousness, then you are righteous as Jesus is righteous. But if you don't keep the commandments, or if you're practicing evil, then John and Jesus would say very clearly, be careful calling yourself a Christian, because that is not evidence of a Christian. That's evidence of remaining ownership of the devil. And this all means that true Christianity boils down to doing what Jesus says, not 
just claiming to have faith in him. Because anyone can say they believe in Jesus. And according to the stats, most people in our nation do claim to follow Jesus. But only those born of God will desire to obey and will have the power to do so. And you remember what he says in John 14, I will give you the spirit and the spirit will be with you forever and he will help you. So you will want to obey and you will have the power to obey if you are a child of God. This means that doing what Jesus says is the very best way to discover if someone is an authentic Christian. Now let's look at the practical. The practical. Pastor Mel last week spoke to us on what it means to follow Jesus. And by the way, those those were fantastic messages. If you need to, go back and listen to those. In Matthew 4, we see that the first disciples were called of Jesus. And Jesus instructed those very first disciples to do something very simple. He said, follow me. Follow me. That's chapter 4. As soon as you get to chapter 5 and turn the page, Jesus goes up on a mount and he starts teaching everyone listening the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon that was ever preached. Jesus does that only a chapter after he calls the first disciples. As if to say that obedience to him should be obvious if you say you believe in me. If you want to follow me, listen to what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is incredibly important. Pastor Mel reminded us how important paying attention to Jesus' teachings is. Unless we pay very close to his teaching, we cannot obey his commandments. And unless we obey his commandments, we cannot have any proof whatsoever that we are Jesus' actual followers. And remember all the stories I taught you and told you at the beginning of someone who thinks they have something valuable, and then it's inspected further and they find out they don't. Our goal today is not to plant doubt where doubt doesn't need to be. I don't want anyone doubting their salvation if you are patterning your life after Jesus Christ. But the last thing I want is for someone to assume they're Christian when there's no evidence. We could be fake Christians with a fake faith in Jesus. Here in in this room today, any of us could be fake if it's not tested and proven by the commandments. In Matthew 5, when Jesus starts teaching, listen to what the verse 2 verses say. He says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And then the rest of the three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, is all the Sermon on the Mount. All Jesus telling us, how to live, how to follow him, what it means to be a Christian. You guys remember the old children's game Simon Says, right? Simon Says. Anyone remember that game, Simon Says? Yeah, that's, that's old enough for everybody to remember, okay? I don't typically do this, but I want everyone to play. I want us to play Simon Says. There's a couple kids in the back, but I want everybody to play today, okay? Just humor me. We're going to play one round of Simon Says, Okay. You guys remember the rules of Simon Says? If Simon says it, like if I say those words, Simon says, then you do it. If I don't say those words, you don't do it. Haddon, are you ready for this? Yeah? Haddon's good at this game. Haddon is good at this game. All right, let's all play together. Simon says, touch your head. Touch your chin. Oh, I got a couple. Oh, Judy. I got a couple moving to the chin. It's been a while. A little rusty. Simon says, touch your ear. 
Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your shoulder. Now raise your hand. Oh, oh, you guys are good. I don't think anybody raised their hand. Had, did you raise your hand? Okay, you guys are all winners. Come later for a sucker, okay? I'll give you a sucker afterwards. Uh, you remember the game. The game is silly, and it's a silly illustration. But honestly, it's the same application for Jesus says. It's the same application. If Jesus said to do it, it's a must. If Jesus didn't say to do it, it's optional. It's that simple. That's the practical of what we're talking about today. I want to talk about the poor substitute, okay? Because there are substitutes for the truth out there. In fact, there's more than we want to consider. Because there's many people, or so-called Christians today, who care a lot about things that Jesus never told us to care about. Did you know that? There's a lot of people saying that they're Christians, but they care a lot about things Jesus never told us to care about. And I don't mean to touch a nerve today, but I'm going to mention a few things, okay? Nobody specific, just things I've seen over the course of my Christian experience. Traditions. Are traditions bad? No, traditions are not bad. Some of them are great. Some of them represent something that's in the Bible. But you know, Jesus never told us to keep traditions. But traditions are a big deal in the church, especially some denominations. Some denominations, you don't break from traditions. Traditions are as important as anything. But Jesus never said, did he? to obey traditions. Uh, music styles, growing up, music styles was a big battle. Big battle. People would lose their minds. If, if there was a beat in the song, had to be from the devil. Only the devil would put beat in a song. And so people would lose their minds over music styles. And I, I, you look in the scriptures, and I have, there's nothing mentioned about music styles. But it was a big war in the church. Dress codes, we remember that one, right? I got my tie on today, so I'm Christian. Just teasing. But back in the day, that was a big thing, right? If you dressed properly, you were Christian. And if you didn't, if you wore a t-shirt or mesh shorts or sweats or jeans, I don't know, we're going to be bringing you to the church, questioning your salvation. Uh, these are a couple of these are really old, but pews versus chairs. Maybe you're old enough to remember that, like pews. You, you had to have pews in the church building. Uh, service styles, dietary restrictions, youth programs and how they're operated. Um, politics, that one is common today still, politics, people lining up on certain sides of a political party and then therefore saying, I'm Christian because I'm this, and you're not because you're that, but Jesus never said. Observing special days, or here's, here's one for something we're dealing with right now, hopefully I don't touch a nerve, masks, masks, am I going to lose my pastorship now? Right? People losing their minds about masks. I hate masks. I think masks are essential. And then lining up and then acting as if my side is Christian and your side might be devilish. I'm not thinking of anybody in this church, but I've seen it. I've seen the battles. They rage on. And the question is, is why are so many rigidly adhering to rules that Jesus never told us are important to him? Although they're not necessarily wrong, these things that I mentioned, they're not wrong in the right context. They can be handled correctly. But on the same hand, on the same regard, people that are adhering to these rules, these man-made rules, are disregarding the specifically mentioned and preserved commandments of God. That Jesus said, these things. These things are what I want you to do. These things are what I want you to care about. These things are what you do if you love me. In my experience growing up in the Christian church, it was all about this stuff, 
and the commandments were barely mentioned. That's the poor substitute. There's a uh, passage in scripture in Matthew 15 where there's a group of religious people who completely got this mixed up. Okay, and they were called the Pharisees and scribes. In Matthew 15, the Pharisees and scribes come up to Jesus and they have a beef with Jesus. Matthew 15, it says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? To which I'm sure they were confused. God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me, I gave it to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. Sometimes Jesus didn't pull any punches, did he? He told it just like they needed to hear it and said, You're not honoring your father and mother because you're saying we don't have anything left. We gave everything to God. Sorry, Mom and Dad. And Jesus said, honor your father and your mother. That's a clear and direct commandment that they were forsaking for the sake of their tradition. Do you notice the mix-up? Commandment was up here. Tradition was down here, but they, they had it backwards. Tradition was up here, and commandments were way down here. And that's the point today. We have to learn what Jesus actually said, or we cannot follow him properly. And therefore, we cannot know that we are his true disciple which means we are possibly, potentially going the wrong way still. Remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Later on in the passage, he basically said, those who do not keep my word do not love me. Those who don't keep my commandments, keep my word, they cannot love me because they're so linked. If you love the Lord, you will keep his commandments. Just like when I didn't know the Michigan Scouts and was calling myself a hardcore Michigan fan or when I pretended to be an Aerosmith fan and I was a fraud. If I asked you as a full-time Christ follower, what are the two greatest commandments of all time, would you know them? If I asked you what the Ten Commandments are, ten, there's ten, would you know them? If I asked you what Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, would you know what he talked about? I hope you all could, but unfortunately there are many, many who cannot and are still claiming that they follow Jesus Christ. And guys, that's a very bad perversion of Christianity. That's a very bad perversion of Christianity. Now I need to preface this, I need to say this clearly, that not knowing the commandments of God doesn't necessarily mean you're not a follower of Jesus because we all start ignorant of the truth, right? I mean, when we start in the Christian race, we all start like infants, spiritually. We have to be trained. We have to be taught. Someone has to show us. So don't question your salvation if you're a new Christian, okay, and you're, you've not been in this long, and you're still learning, and someone has to guide you. Because our job as your pastors is to teach the commandments, and your job as a Christian is now to find out those commandments so that you can obey them. But if we say we believe in Jesus and we don't get to know what he commands, how can we claim to follow him? 
How can we claim to be true Christians? It's confusing when you say it that way. Because true Christians would know and want to know what Jesus taught so that they can follow him. You see, we have, a, we have an enemy. And we've talked about this enemy several times. His name is Satan. Satan is willing to make us a trade. Did you know that? Uh, recently, Trav, uh, my, Trav, my son Haddon and I, I called him Trav, my brother. My son Haddon and I, what have we been trading lately, Haddon? Baseball cards. There's a digital version of it now. You can trade baseball cards digitally. And Tad rips me off all the time. It's awesome. Just teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. He's abused. But, but later, Had, I want my cards back. But did you know Satan is willing to make us a trade? He's willing to trade us. He is. He will trade us what seemingly is the most important thing, the title of Christian. The devil will let us have that. He will let us have the title of Christ follower if we will trade him something. If we will give him actual obedience to Jesus, then we can have the title. And it doesn't bother him that we have the title. If we trade him obedience to Jesus, we can have the title Christian and we don't bother the devil at all. He's happy with it. Go ahead. Call yourself a Christian. Because he knows the devil is smart and he knows that the title without the fruits of righteousness is useless at Judgment Day. A false Christianity, and I hope you know this, will save no one. And that is what we call a bad deal. That is a bad trade. To take the title and to give up the actual practical following of Jesus is a bad trade. We need to look at the prophecy because Jesus was a prophet. I mean, he was a prophet from God, even though he's the son of God and much, much higher than any prophet. Jesus also gave prophecies from time to time. And in Matthew 7, interestingly enough, the Sermon on the Mount, he gave a prophecy. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many... Remember the stats? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. That's a prophecy of what the last day is going to look like for many people who think they're Christians. This is one of the most sobering passages in the entire scripture of what it means to falsely follow Jesus. And this is a prophecy. He says this is going to look this way. It is going to happen. Many are going to come to me claiming to be Christians. I will inspect their life and I will say, I don't know you. Depart from me. So these people come up to Jesus and they're saying things like, we did many mighty works in your name. Jesus, as if to say that simply using the name of Jesus is enough to prove authenticity. Like, look, I have the, it says Michael Jordan on the card. It has to be Michael Jordan. Well, no, it's not true. Anyone could have wrote that. Using the name of Jesus on your life isn't hard. I see athletes do this all the time. Philippians 4.13, right there on their, tattooed on their chest, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they're using that to say, 
See how much I love Jesus? Jesus is making me successful in my sport. But that's not the context of Philippians 4.13. Paul's in a prison, in a dungeon. And he's saying, I got here because I followed Jesus Christ, and now I have very, very little. And yet, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These people in the last day, Jesus is going to declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know you. I want you to imagine going up to the White House door, if you can get there, knocking on the door and someone opens up and you say, let me in, I know Donald Trump. Do you think you're going to get in based on that? <laughs> Do you think you're going to step one foot into the White House based on the fact that you say you know Donald Trump? But what if we flipped it around? If Donald Trump came down the stairs and said, I know them, let him in. Do you think you can go in? Do you see the difference? If someone says, I know someone famous, that's not enough for them to be allowed access and that's basically what happens on the last day. Christ, I know you. I, I was around the church. I was in the church. I did all these things in your name. And Jesus goes, well, why don't I know you then? Why don't I know you? And he brands them with a term forever called workers of lawlessness. And it's interesting because this passage is not dealing with sexually immoral people. It's not dealing with child molesters or idolaters or murderers. Not that we know of. It's dealing with people who claim to follow Jesus. It's dealing with Christians. How and why would Jesus brandish these people, workers of lawlessness? Why? And this is a warning to all of us who call ourselves Christians, to make sure we are the authentic version before we get to Judgment Day. The term lawless, not surprisingly, means living as if there is no law. That's what lawless means. Living as if there is no law. You ever driven that way in the road? Drive like there is no law? I basically had a cop do that to me once. He pulled me, pulled me over and basically said that to me. He said, you're driving as if there is no speed limit. As if there is no law. As if there is no law. You're driving as if there's no law posted. To which I said to him, ah, big deal. No. He gave me a ticket that day. And this passage is basically what Jesus is saying to these people. They're claiming to do many things in the name of Jesus, but Jesus considers them lawless because they didn't obey his posted commandments. He said what he wants, he showed us how to live, and they disregarded them. And they did all these things in his name. They took his name and they planted it on their life and said, that's good enough. Jesus will accept any version of Christianity that I give him. It's almost like they thought they were doing Jesus a favor by using his name on their lives and doing things that Jesus never asked for, doing things that Jesus never wanted them to do. It's kind of like when my, tri my kids sometimes trick me into giving them permission for things mommy, mommy already told them not to do. Like my kids will come up and say, hey, Daddy, can I have this snack? Or, Daddy, can I use an iPad? And I'll go, yeah, that's no problem. And then Mommy comes back out and goes, what are you doing? I told you no. And now I'm in trouble. With mommy. Now I can't use an iPad. Now I can't have a snack. Now I'm in trouble. It's a sobering reality to realize that if we aren't obeying Jesus, doing exactly what he said and commanded us to do, then he's going to consider us frauds. Frauds. Regardless of what we call ourselves. Sadly, many self-proclaimed Christians are going to find themselves cast away from the Lord into eternal darkness for not doing what Jesus says. 
It's that simple. He's going to say disobedience is disbelief. If you don't obey, you don't believe either. Only obedience to Jesus can validate a proper and true Christ follower. And those who have been truly born of the Spirit will desire to follow Jesus in devotion and obedience. If the desire to obey Jesus is not within us, then we have to question the authenticity of our faith. If we don't desire to obey Jesus, we need to question if we're saved. Because true faith in Jesus will always, always lead to devotion and obedience to Jesus. You know that, right? True faith will always lead to devotion and obedience. And guys, there was a long time in my life that I was a fake Christian. And I, I didn't know it. Or I did know it and I didn't care. Until I was age 26 when God put the mirror in front of me and basically said similar language. I don't know who you are. You're not living according to my law. You're not living according to my commandments. Who are you? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I know the lingo. I wear the tie. Come on, I do some things in your name. And it was sobering to realize that I had faked it. I didn't care about what Jesus said. I didn't care about what Jesus told me to do. I only cared about looking the part. And I looked it. And I had a lot of people faked. I had myself faked. But guys, if at judgment day, if we say we're a Christian and we don't have obedience to Jesus to validate it, our so-called faith is going to fail us. And we're going to be cast away from the Lord forever. We're not talking about perfect obedience, okay? We're talking about what John talks about. The practice of righteousness. The habit of righteousness. The serious effort it takes to obey the Lord. That's what John says. If you have that, then you are it. And if you don't have that, you're not that. Obedience to Jesus is way more important than the self-proclaimed title of being a Christian because here's the equation. You can claim to be a Christian and not be one. And many do. You can claim to be a Christian and not be one. Just like my fake autographs and my fake Rolex. You can have the name on and not be one. But you cannot obey Jesus without being a Christian. Think about that. You can claim to be a Christian and not be one, but you can't obey Jesus if you're not a Christian. If you obey Jesus and strive to obey his commandments, you must be a Christian because there's no way that's possible without the Spirit of God indwelling inside of you. And here's the point. If we desire to follow the Master in love, devotion, obedience, how can we live our lives based on what Jesus says? If that desire is within us to obey him and follow him and be devoted to him, and I hope it is, how do we live our lives based on what Jesus says? There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut for doing what Jesus says. We have to dive into the deep end of the scriptures. We have to search for it like a diver looking for fine pearls. And we have to obey it. It's that simple. But it takes work. And there's no shortcut for it. The tragic outcome of not knowing what Jesus says is these things here. Okay, if don't know the commandments, if you don't understand them, don't get to know the commandments, here's the outcome of not knowing what Jesus says. Number one, you'll neglect his commandments. You'll disobey his commandments. Number two, you'll receive a poor substitute for those commandments, and you might not even know it. You may be handed a fake and don't even know it. 
Number three, you'll have a hard heart toward his commandments. Maybe you're sitting there now going, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to do more. I want to do less. You'll fall into the traps of the perversions and deceptions of the evil one. It won't be hard to trick you if you don't know the commandments. You'll drift from truth into worldliness. You'll just drift. From Christianity, from everything you knew, little by little you'll drift towards the world. You'll have no assurance or hope of eternal life because you can't without obedience. And one day, tragically, possibly, you'll be cast off from the holy God at Judgment Day. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to not know and obey Jesus? It's not. Very quickly, I want to give you the strategy or the application before we close today. If you want to obey the commandments, if you want to do what Jesus says, here's the strategy. Learn it. Learn the commandments. Remember the commandments. Obey the commandments and repeat. I love when it's simple. You guys remember the old Nike commercial, Just Do It? (laughs) Just do it. Learn the commandments Remember the commandments, which I told you had. Step two is always harder than step one. To learn the commandments, we can all listen to something. But to remember them is much more difficult. And then obeying them is even more difficult than that. And then to repeat that for the rest of your life is the hardest of all. But that's the strategy. That's how simple it is. Learn it, remember it, obey it, repeat. Learn it, remember it, obey it, repeat. I started this lesson by asking if you get frustrated finding out you had a fake when you thought you had the genuine article. If you have a false Christianity today, and you might, like I did for a long period of my life, it's bad. But you can receive the true, genuine Christianity today simply by turning to Jesus with faith. Saying something like this, I need you, Jesus and I'm ready to follow you. And you mean it, and you say it, and you declare it, and then you're willing to back it up. You can start fresh today. I started when I was 26, and it's incredibly embarrassing. I was a Christian since I was five. At least I thought I was. But at age 26, I started fresh. It was embarrassing, but boy, was I thankful for it. You can too. If you do, you will receive the willingness and determination to live according to what Jesus says. He will give you the power to do so. But the discipline to learn it and obey it is our role. Jesus is not going to move our arms and legs for us, okay? That's our role. Do you want Jesus to be your Lord, and are you willing to dedicate your life to doing whatever Jesus says? And I mean today. Are you willing today... To dedicate, or we've used the term, rededicate your life to the Lord. Because you might be sitting there questioning, I don't know. I don't know if I'm real. I don't want you questioning after today. I want it to be sure in your mind that on judgment day, you will stand confident. Because he's your savior. And he's your Lord. We're going through the Ten Commandments in our virtual Bible studies, and that's on purpose because I need to be able to teach you the commandments because no one taught them to me. I didn't hear a lot about about the commandments. I heard about music styles, and I heard about dress code, and I heard about all kinds of stuff. But no one sat down with me and said, let me teach you the commandments. They're pretty important. So we're going through the Ten Commandments in our virtual Bible studies, and if you haven't jumped into those yet, I really highly suggest you do. 
start from number one, and we're, we're in number five now. We're going to do number six this week. Because following Jesus is more than a claim just to say he's my Savior and my Lord. It's devotion. It's a covenant. It's commitment. And it's a relationship. And it always, 100% of the time, reveals itself by obedience to what Jesus says. Remember what he says in John 6. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Those who eat of me live forever. And those who don't, they will die. I want you to remember Jesus is the only Savior of the world. And let's make it very personal today. He's your only Savior. Go all in. Give everything to Jesus. Hold nothing back and say to the Lord, maybe for the first time or maybe in a fresh way today, I'm ready to do whatever you say because doing what Jesus says is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Let's pray. Father, I hope this message had the tone and that I desired it to have that you gave me. I pray for the souls in this room. There may be someone like 25-year-old Todd who is faking it, who's been in it long enough to know the lingo, to know what to do on a Sunday. But on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, they don't know your commandments. They don't follow you. They don't listen to what you said. They're more concerned with something else, some family thing that they learned and grew up in and that seems really important right now, but it's nowhere in Scripture. It's nothing Jesus said. Father, I want everyone in this room to have the confidence and assurance of eternal life so that one day, and that day could be closer than we know, that day could be very, very close. And I don't want anyone that I love unsure and unconfident on that day. And we don't have to be. We could start our journey new or we can get back up and continue where we left off because that's what your grace and mercy allows for us. We thank you and we praise you and we give all glory to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I will say this. If you guys have any questions, please come talk to us, okay? That's why we're here. We care about you and we want you to understand these things. Please come and make a meeting with us. We'll see you Wednesday, 6 o'clock, the new time, 6 o'clock on Wednesday for church family time. Blessings.